If you would turn with me to the epistle of Galatians chapter 2, please. Galatians chapter 2. I want to look at the last three verses of the chapter, beginning in verse 19. Galatians 2, verse 19. Paul here writes, uh, beginning in verse 19, For I, through the law, and I speaking of the law of Christ, believing in Him, trusting Him, finding all our righteousness and acceptance in, by, and through Him. He said, I am dead to the law. The, the law that says, do this and do that. And you shall live. He said that I might live unto God, that I should live in the will of God for His honor and for His glory. You know, as believers in Christ, we are not under the law, but we're under grace. Aren't you glad? I don't want what I deserve. I want what I don't deserve. I don't want what the law says that I should have, being a guilty sinner. I want what grace gives pardoned sinners. And this is how. Verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ bore my sins in His own body on the tree, making an end of them. We have such a problem with that, but there could be no greater truth that in Christ my sin has been put away. I stand as perfectly righteous as Christ Himself. Christ bore my sins. They no longer have any condemning power over me. For I died with my substitute and my sacrifice. Paul goes on to say, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The child of God lives spiritually and eternally as a new man, a new creation, a new creature. We, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we look to Christ alone for pardon, for righteousness, for peace, comfort, and grace. And Paul says, in the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, in this life, I live by the faith of of the Son of God. That faith of which He's the author and He's the object. The faith of a just man. The God-man. Our redemption is due to His faithfulness to us, not our faithfulness to Him. And then the last phrase in verse 20 says, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Oh, I could just live right there. He loved me and He gave Himself for me. Salvation comes not by our love for God or by our faithfulness, not by our giving ourselves to Him. It's found in Christ who loves chosen, believing sinners and the giving of Himself to them. His faithfulness to us. He is faithful that promised. That's what makes salvation sure. That's what makes salvation certain. Preacher, you believe in one saved, always saved? If Christ saved me, certain and sure. 
Paul digs deep here into the foundation of salvation. Salvation has to do with His love for us, not our love for Him. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, John wrote. Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent, gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What an amazing revelation to every believer. Jesus Christ loves them and gave Himself for them. What a special, distinguishing, particular love that Christ has for His people. They are separated to be the Lord's peculiar people. Therefore, they find all their hope, all their comfort and assurance. I love those three words. Hope, comfort, and assurance. I need them. I need all three of those things so desperately. And they're in the blessed fact that Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul knew this, and so can we. Christ died for sinners, and they are the ones who trust Him. I trust and believe because He died for me. You know, that's so important. We oftentimes get that reversed. We get the cart before the horse. Christ didn't die for me because I believe. I believe because He died for me. Big difference. He had to give me life first before I could ever believe. Believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ is the result of what He purposed for me before the worlds were ever framed. He loved me and gave Himself for me. Oh, chew on that, dear sinner. It'll bring you great comfort, hope, and assurance. Therefore, I believe and trust in Him. This is solid ground to rest upon. And this is why we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We used to tease when we were younger and and say, oh, I wouldn't trust him any further than I could pick him up and throw him. And he'd weigh about 400 pounds. Not very far. But we can rejoice in Christ Jesus having no confidence in the flesh because Christ did it all for us. Our confidence is found in His love for us. Our hope is found in Him giving Himself for us. He loved His people and He gave Himself for them. That's the most amazing and beautiful thing I ever heard. We come to Him because He came to us. Just as we love Him because He first loved us. We know, we know that we're drawn by grace divine. How do we know? Because with loving kindness, He has drawn us to Himself. He loved us and gave Himself for us. Let's talk just a little about this love Christ has for His people. And the first point is just that. It's a divine love. You know, if someone or famous or notable loved me, it'd be a delightful thing that I would love to tell others. Did you know that so-and-so loves me? They told me they did. It would be a wondrous thing if a king or a lord knew me and loved me and actually died for me. 
But our text reminds us that it's the Son of God and it's God the Son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who chose certain sinners given to Him by God the Father to love them. And not only means that He... That doesn't only mean that He thinks upon me, that He feeds me and provides for me. He actually loves me. That's a word that's pretty flippantly used today. Oh, I love this. I love that. And a young boy and girl meets one another and they hadn't known each other 15 years. I love you. I love you too. But He actually loves us. He who is love loves us. This is the love of God in heaven, the Divine One, the Everlasting Father and forever blessed Son along with the Sacred and Holy Spirit. The great Trinity in unity loves me. I can't wrap my head around that. Can you? Delight yourself in that glorious truth. Child of God, Jesus Christ, loved you and gave Himself for you. God gave Himself for us. Secondly, this love is an ancient love. It's an everlasting love. If He ever loved me, He loves me still. It's an everlasting love. A love that always was and will always be. Who loved me? Christ loved me. Notice the verb there, who loved me. It's, it's in the past tense. There was never a time that Christ did not love me. He loves me now. He loved me on the cross. He loved me in the manger of Bethlehem. He loved me before the foundation of the world. He's always loved me. Do you understand that? No, like most of the things in the Bible, I don't understand. But I, we were talking earlier when the men met, and I, I, Gene read a beautiful passage of Scripture, Romans 7 and 8. And just the thought that He loved me and gave Himself for me. What, what an amazing news. Good news, isn't it? It's gospel news. In His love, Christ could not give any more of Himself. He not only gave His crown, His throne, His life, His sufferings, His death, His blood, all of His excellencies, all of His merits, He gave Himself. His whole self, His soul and His body. He gave all of Himself to all of His people that as if each of us was the only one that He gave Himself for. Christ gave His life a ransom for many. Not for the whole world, but for the whole church of God. But His fullness, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, was enough to save all His people as if they individually were the only ones He saved. It's just like His inheritance. We've talked about that before. If someone dies and leaves an inheritance and they have five children, they split the... the the pie five different ways. But with Christ, you get the whole pie. You get the whole thing. Each of us do. 
That's unfathomable. I don't understand that. I don't need a God I can understand. I need God. Thirdly, this is an immeasurable love. How much do you love me? Oh, I love you a whole bunch. I love you this much. His love is immeasurable. I've heard people say and seen illustrations of how much did Christ love me? And then they show him on the cross, he loved me this much. No, he loves you much more than that. Mm-hmm. Much more than that. It's immeasurable. You can't measure it. And if you measure a love by its gifts, then you certainly have an immeasurable love, immeasurable love here, for it was proved by an immeasurable gift. He gave Himself. He who cannot be comprehended, He who is boundless, inconceivable, indescribable, gave Himself for me. If you know something about yourself, you will sigh on that. You'll sigh in, 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 uh, with joy. <laughs> the Gospel will make you sigh with joy, won't it? It's not like, you know, on me, it's like, wow. There's a limit to what man can give, but there's no limit to the love of God in Christ. I put a short little article statement in the bulletin this week that Todd Nybert made and it says, Christ in me and me in Christ. Throw a thimble in the ocean, the thimble's in the ocean and the ocean is in the thimble. Because of this union that every believer has with Christ, there is no limit of Christ's love for them. And you cannot measure the height, the depths, the lengths, and the breadth of Christ's love. There's nothing, nothing, no one that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 39. If you ever doubt God's love, pick up your Bible and read that verse. Read those verses there in Romans 8. Fourthly, this love is an abiding love. Our love's fickle. We love those that love us. If someone doesn't treat us right, we don't love them anymore. But His love is abiding. He cannot love me more and He cannot love me less. He who is unchanging has an unchangeable love. His love for His people is a treasure that will never be lost. Everybody's always hunting for treasure. Who is it that's losing all this treasure? But my treasure in Christ cannot be lost. It's an abiding treasure. Oh, it's a blessing that can never be exhausted. And let's speak a moment here on the faith that Paul here confesses in our text. Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He didn't say I live by the faith, my faith in the Son of God. He said I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This faith is in a person. A lot of folks' faith is in their faith. Our faith is in a person. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith in the living and loving Lord. Have I told you who gave himself for us? Who gave himself for us? The child of God's in the hands of the one who can keep them. That's why he's everything to me. He's the only one that can save me. He's the only one that can keep me. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But it don't matter how prone I am, if none can pluck me from His hand, He quickens my dead self. He clothes me who is naked. He washes me who is filthy. Uh, I spoke with John Chapman earlier this week. He sent out his bulletin the same day I was working on ours. And this little article was in the bulletin too. And uh, I mentioned it only because I had the same thing happen to me. When, when I first had a religious experience, someone said something to me and I said, well, he said, thank God the Lord saved sinners. And I said, well, I used to be a sinner, but I'm not a sinner anymore. And... Uh, Boy, was I wrong about that. And he showed me that He saved sinners. He saved a sinner like me. And that's all I've been ever since as a sinner. Saved by the grace of God. Why? Because He loved me and gave Himself for me. We don't hope that He loves us. He loves us. Even though Paul speaks as a matter of fact, he also speaks here with a sense of astonishment. He loved me. He gave Himself for me. So let's move on here and consider verse 21. My, my. We're in deep, deep waters. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Brother Mahan said in his commentary on this verse, there's no stronger statement found anywhere in God's Word on salvation by grace. If righteousness, and that's talking about the perfect righteousness, the only righteousness that God will accept, You know, our righteousness has to be perfect to be accepted. It has to be perfect to be accepted. The Word of God is very clear on that. If this perfect righteousness come by the law, doing and keeping the law, being good boys and girls, then Christ died in vain. The word grace is found 170 times in the Scriptures. And I found this very interesting. The first time that grace is used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter. 6 and verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord was fed up with the sin and wickedness of man. And He said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then the last time that the word grace is used in the Scriptures is in the very last verse of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, and it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So, the grace 
that Noah found in the eyes of the Lord is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Gene said in his prayer, there is no other grace but divine, sovereign grace. No one else has the grace in order to give it. It's His. There's no grace to sinners apart from Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? The grace that Noah found was in Christ. That was the first thing that God showed Noah. He showed him that Christ was his salvation. That Christ was his refuge. He showed Noah Jesus Christ is the ark that God built. Year after year, as Noah placed that gopher wood where God told him to, he saw more and more of Christ. Just as the ark was purposed by God, so was Christ, the sinner's refuge, purposed by God. Purposed before there was ever a sinner. Before there was a sinner, there was a Savior. Noah saw Christ in the pitch of the ark. Noah saw Christ in the one door and the one window that the ark had. When the flood came, Noah saw that his salvation and the salvation of his family was provided for by God. Have you seen that? Has God shown you that? Well, He's got to show it to you before you can see it. You didn't find grace, you didn't find grace, grace found you. He's the only salvation Christ is that provides for sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Sinners. If you're a sinner, that's good news. Just as Noah saw the ark was a place of safety, the believer sees Jesus Christ as their only place of safety. Noah and his family were sheltered against the storm of God's wrath. Those who are in Christ are protected from that same wrath and those outside of Christ will perish. Just like they did in Noah's day. And I've said this often and I'm going to say it again. Do you think on the back of the ark as the floods came and filled this earth up that there was a bumper sticker that said, Smile, God loves you? Just as the eight souls and all their animals must come into the ark for safety, so must the sinner come to Christ to be saved. Just as the time to come into the ark was a limited time, so is God's call to come to Christ. His Spirit shall not always strive with man. One of these days, God's going to wrap this thing up. It won't be until the last chosen sinner is saved. Because everyone that He foreknew and and predestined and called is going to be justified. Just as the coming of the flood was unexpected by the world in the days of Noah, so is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Right now it's business as usual. Everybody eat and drink and be merry. That's what the world said. If it feels good, just do it. But the time is coming when the Lord's going to wrap this all up. And it's the grace of God in Jesus Christ and it cannot be found anywhere else. There is no love, no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Have you ever thought about the significance of that statement in the eyes of the Lord? In the eyes of the Lord indicates the bestowing of His favor. For the eyes of the Lord are over all the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The concerned and compassionate eyes of the Lord were upon Noah in grace. God had purposed to save him. God had purposed to deliver him. The gracious eyes of the Lord are on His people to, to deliver them from their sin, to protect them and preserve and keep them by His grace. Eleven times in the book of Genesis alone, the word grace is mentioned, and it's always connected with being in the sight of the Lord. Every single time. God's people find grace where? In the eyes of the Lord. In His sight. So we must find grace in God's sight as Noah did. We must find the grace that only God can bestow. We must see that grace that's found in Christ alone. How do we come to find this grace in God's sight? We don't. It finds us. It always finds us. It always finds His people. Noah found grace because grace found him. If the Lord is the only one who possesses grace, then the Lord is the only one that can give it. Ephesians 1.6 To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And that Beloved is Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.7 In whom? The beloved Christ Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's called the gift of God because grace is given by the effectual working of God's power. And He's the only one that can give it. And He gives it freely. You can't purchase it. You don't earn it. You can't merit it. It's a gift. Paul says in verse 21, if salvation, which is having perfect righteousness, comes by the work of the law, your Savior, Jesus Christ, died in vain. That, that's strong. That's strong language. You know, that was Paul's uh, issue with Peter. But look up at verse 11. Galatians 2. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did, Peter, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they, speaking of the Jews, were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. What are they going to think? I'm sitting here eating this food with these people. 
And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. That word means pretenses. Their pretentiousness. That's all it is. And Peter, by his actions, was saying that in order to be justified, you still had to keep the law. That you couldn't eat certain things and you certainly didn't eat with the Gentiles. Remember what the Pharisees said about the Lord? Why, He eats with publicans and sinners. He must be a sinner. And obviously, Peter still believed that you had to be circumcised like the Jews were and that you had to observe the Jewish law of works. Look at verse 14. But when I saw, Paul says, that they walked not uprightly according to what? The truth of the Gospel. I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? In other words, how could Peter expect the Gentiles to live under the Jewish law that was never given to them by God? They didn't know the, the law of God. Well, the Jews knew it backwards and forwards. But the Gentiles didn't. And he says in verse 15, we who are Jews by nature, in other words, born Jews, and not sinners of the Gentiles, born of a wicked nation of the world, under no restraint, living all manner of wickedness. That's what they thought of the Gentiles. Whom the Jews thought were unfit and filled with evil. But now they were under the same grace and free from the law of the Spirit and life in Christ Jesus, which had also made the Gentiles free from the law of sin and death. And this is where the rubber meets the road in all this, friends. Verse 16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You want to put that in just good old Kentucky language? You can't be saved by doing. You can't. You can only be saved by what Christ did for you. What Paul was saying to Peter is what we see in verse 21. Peter, I don't frustrate. I don't despise. I don't make void. I don't reject or refuse the grace of God. Oh my. Neither do I. I love it. It's my only hope. Anyone who hopes to be saved by his or her own righteousness Righteousness or work of the law rejects the free favor of God found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a man sees and feels that the law condemns him, I can assure you this, they won't cry out for justice. They'll cry out for mercy. Mercy beggars. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Hush up, you old blind beggar. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. He cried all the more. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You know what he got? Mercy. 
He got mercy. The Lord said, what can I do for you? He thought that I might receive my sight. Have you received your sight? It only comes by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. No one's ever been recommended, no one has ever recommended one that is innocent to mercy. Mercy and grace are desired only by the guilty. We who are dead in trespasses and sin can't make ourselves acceptable before God. I don't care how, how I don't care how hard you try, you can't do it. No man can come to Christ that he might have life. He doesn't have the ability. You will not come to me that you might have life. You, you won't come. You don't have the ability to come. You don't have the will to come. You are 100% dependent upon grace finding you. Titus 3, 5, and 6. Salvation is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. He not only sheds it upon us, Sharon, He does so abundantly. Is there mercy Still enough reserved for me? Oh yes, plenteous mercy. Those who think they can be saved by their own work of righteousness are ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes it. This is the Word of God. This is what God says. I'm not interested in what a man says. I'm interested in what God says. Preachers are, preachers are reporters. That's all. We just report the good news. <coughs> if a man, a sinner, is justified, sanctified, and redeemed by a work of righteousness then he, that he himself does, listen to me, then Christ died in vain. He died for no reason. If you're saved by your own works, if you're justified in the sight of a holy God by what you do, then Christ died for no reason. If you by your morality, your good deeds, your charity, your church membership, your preaching, your teaching, your giving of tithes, your attendance, if that's the way you're justified, Jesus Christ died in vain. If Christ died to bring in a righteousness that can be secured by my works and by your works, He died in vain. If Christ died on the cross to redeem a people who might have been redeemed by their own goodness, then Christ died in vain. There was no reason for Him to come to earth. There was no reason for Him to become a man. There was no reason for Him to be tried and tempted. There was no reason for Him to suffer. There was no reason for the wrath of God to fall on Him. There was no reason for Him to shed His blood. But there was a reason. We could not do for God what God, what must be done, what God required. Someone once asked 
someone, I, I forget who tells the story, but asked someone how long they'd been a Christian, a believer. And the answer was, all my life. And the one uh, who asked the question said, well, that's just a little too long. <laughs> I was a sinner, wretched, undeserving of His love. I, I was headed for hell. Had one foot in hell, one on a banana peel. I was heading there. On my way, skipping along as happy as I could be, right on into hell. And God stopped me in my tracks and He intervened in my life and He divinely revealed the Gospel to me and He saved me by His grace because He loved me and He gave Himself for me. Mr. Spurgeon once said that to teach that sinners can add anything to the glorious work of Christ is criminal. It's a crime that insinuates first God to be a fool and it would mean that God condemned His Son in vain. But He didn't. Those who preach salvation by works are committing a crime against their hearers because they're giving their hearers a false hope and a false refuge. Christ is the ark of God. Refuge is in Him alone. If what Noah, if if Noah had preached, and he preached for 120 years, and how many came into the ark with him? Just his family. But if he had preached that deliverance from God's wrath was by climbing the highest mountain to be saved, that would have been criminal. How criminal it would have been since the highest mountains were covered by the flood of God's wrath. The blood of millions would have been upon Noah's hands. And some today are going to say, well, to preach salvation by works will encourage people to live a, a moral life and encourage them to be virtuous and honest. Uh, it may cause them to trust in their own morality, virtue, and righteousness instead of the perfect work, morality, and virtue, and righteousness that Christ provides for His people. That is the case most every time. Religion seems to believe that if you preach salvation is a gift of God and salvation is by grace alone, uh, that uh, it will cause folks to be careless in sin. Listen, folks don't need any help with that. We are by nature careless and we sin. And why do men and women think that the free gift of salvation gives a sinner a license to sin? Why did just the opposite with me? It, a sinner who God has saved by grace is going to be thankful and be obedient to the one who loved them and gave himself for them. Is that not your experience? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. He loved me and gave Himself for me. I don't want to displease Him. I don't want to disappoint Him. Everything today seems in preaching seems to appeal to the flesh. People are motivated by rewards. I won't even get into that. It's already 12 o'clock. We'd be here to to this afternoon. Rewards in heaven. It's all going to have a crown on my head so big that I'm going to have to have a neck brace to hold my head up. Nonsense. It's nonsense. I'm not trying to be funny. It's nonsense. People say stupid things. Motivated by reward rather than love. But not the true believer. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. 
If I do everything that God commands me to do, I'm still an unprofitable servant. So it can't be by my works, I'm still unprofitable. We preach Christ because we love Him. We give because we love Him. We worship Christ because we love Him. We attend His Gospel because we love Him. We tell others about Christ because we love Him. And because we love the ones that we tell. But we love Him because He first loved us. Dear sinner, Christ did not die in vain. So then salvation cannot be by a work of righteousness that we do. Salvation is by the finished and perfect work and righteousness that Christ did. He said so on the cross. It's finished. It's finished. And a child of God, and I'm closing with this, refuses to frustrate, reject, despise, make void the grace of God in Christ, for they know that the righteousness of God does not come by the law, but by grace. Christ didn't die in vain. Oh, no, no, no. Nothing or no one can frustrate the grace of God. Webster defines frustrate as preventing the progress or success and fulfillment of something. The success and fulfillment of the grace of God cannot be prevented. It's always successful. And it's always fulfilled in those whom the Lord purposed to fulfill it. That's the Gospel. That's good news. Christ loved certain distinguishing and chosen sinners. Uh, He loved them and He gave Himself for them. That's the Gospel. And no child of God is ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God to everyone that believeth. I was made willing when? In the day of His power. If He hadn't intervened, I'd have never believed Salvation is not of David Edmondson. Salvation is of the Lord. And He loved me. And He gave Himself for me. That should encourage you. It sure does this sinner. It sure does this sinner.